0: i'm curious to know if i ever want pie if i can just go to kareen and say what kind of pie do you have right now and welcome to keep it fictional a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers build your to be read list with sadie liz virginia fiona and kareen from the port moody public library warning This podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list.
1: Hello everybody and welcome back to Keep It Fictional, a show for book lovers by book lovers presented by the Port Moody Public Library. My name is Liz and I am here today with a very special guest. And his name is Cedar the Cat. And he's here for a very special reason, although he doesn't seem so excited to be here right now, that's okay. We're kind of working on our schedule right now, not his so much. But he is here because today we are going to talk about some characters in books and some book titles that is kind of near and dear to my heart. Now I'm an animal lover and they just bring so much joy into my life. So much joy and wonder. So whether you have a pet or you enjoy watching animal videos, looking at animal photos, I'm sure you can relate to that. And because of those reasons, that makes animals really good fodder for stories and characters and books. So today we will be sharing some of our favorite books involving animals. And with that, I'd like to introduce my fellow librarians. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Now we've got Corinne, Fiona, Virginia and Sadie with us today. Now I think it's fair to say that everybody here is an animal lover. Would that be correct? Seeing some nods. Not all animals, not
2: all animals.
1: All right, <laughs> we will say for today's purposes that everybody here is an animal lover. Now let's just jump right into the books. I'm really curious to see which books everybody has chosen because I think we've uh, we've got different kinds of animals featured in these books. Let's just call on Virginia because I have a feeling she's got a book um, that will be very interesting featuring uh, quite the
3: cast of characters. All right. Thank you, Liz. Um, So this is actually, it's funny you call me first because this is actually one of the hardest topic yet, I think, because there are not enough books and stories featuring owls for adults. So I had a very hard time because the topic was supposed to be animals that we love and I can't find any owl books that are not for kids. So I had a very tough time. I read some books about like other animals that I kind of like, but I didn't really like the books. So it was a very tricky week. But what I ended up doing is I went back to a book that I read a couple years ago. And Liz is going to laugh at this because she's like, you didn't even finish that book. But I'm going to talk about a book, full disclosure, that I did not finish because I lost patience with it. <laughs> but... As Books Do is a book that changed my point of view about the animal and changed how I think about it and how I feel about it. So I feel like it's a good book that fits the theme. So the book that I want to talk about today is called The Hollow Kingdom and it's by Kira Jane Buxton. This is a book narrated by St. And uh, you have to look up what ST stands for because it's not something I can say on air. But ST lives with Big Jim and Dennis. And Dennis is his bloodhound. And ST would say that he pretty much learned everything from Big Jim. They watch TV together. They read books together. They listen to music together. So everything he knows comes from Big Jim. One day they were out in the yard playing a game of catch when one of Big Jim's eyeballs fell out. And as it is rolling on the lawn, it caught the attention of Dennis. Dennis, who was just lazing about doing nothing. But when he saw that there was this ball rolling on the lawn, he got up right away and tried to go snatch at it. And ST swooped in just in time, in the nick of time, to grab it away from Dennis and put it in a jar because he feels like it is something that Big Jim probably wants to have it back. And put back in at some point. However, Big Jim was never the same after that eyeball incident. He stopped eating. He don't remember him seeing him eating dinner. Not even Cheetos, which is the best human invention and the best food out there. Big Jim didn't go to the monster truck show, even though he has been talking about it for the last two months. Big Jim pretty much doesn't do anything anymore. All he does was going down to the basement and he will walk around in circles. And then when he walk up to a certain wall, he will start picking at it nonstop for hours until his finger is all gross and bloody and he'll just keep picking and picking and picking at it. And ST could tell there's something very wrong with Big Jim and Big Jim is very sick. And he knows that when you're sick, you go to the pharmacy. That's what you do. So ST has to go and get Big Jim some medicine because no matter how much he try to get Big Jim to move, Big Jim just won't go anywhere. But the problem is ST has never gone out on his own. ST is a crow. So he's like, what do I do now? I need to save Big Jim. But he's really scared. And Dennis is no help. Dennis is just there moping so much for man's best friend. He's just sitting there getting all depressed and he's staying as far as away as he can from Big Jim. So we can't rely on Dennis. So ST decided that, okay, I'm going to have to go get out. So he flew out of the house and he noticed that it's quiet everywhere. He doesn't know where everybody has gone. There were no cars on the road. There were no Amazon delivery trucks. There were no boys on skateboards chucking newspapers in the morning. There was just no one out there. And as he flew towards the pharmacy, he noticed that there was a school bus that has crashed into the church nearby. And there was red stuff all over the window and he flew into the church to see if he can see anyone and there was no one there except maybe a dead moose. He flew out and finally he got to the pharmacy and as he got to trying to wait for the automatic doors to open and he swooped inside and he decided, you know what, I don't know what these bottles too, but let's just grab everything. So he grabbed and found a bag and he just started grabbing bottles of stuff with names that sound like they would help. And he just throw everything in there. And he noticed that there were four people actually in the store, but none of them paid him any attention. They were all busy, just like Big Jim, poking at this screen and poking and poking at it. And they were just preoccupied with that. And they just didn't notice anything. And so he's like, okay, whatever. And so he's trying to go home. But as he was leaving, a bottle fell out of his bag and it crashed onto the floor and it made this clatter. It made this noise. And suddenly all those humans that were super lethargic just a second ago, they all, their head just snap up and they stared at St. And they make out a scream And they started chasing him And meanwhile, Esty is trying to get out of there Waiting for the doors to open, to activate it And the humans were all upon him And they were all chasing after him And he flew out finally And then as he was flying back home He saw there is Nagava Nagava is like Big Jim's neighbor He said, like, oh, she will know what to do She will know how to help Big Jim But as he flew by and he was just about to go down And ask her what to do he noticed that Nagava was eating Trisket. And let me tell you, Trisket is not a brand of crackers. And so st's like, oh no. She recognized that Nagava has the same look, the same drew on his on her mouth, the same bloodshot eyes, just like Big Jim, and give everybody is sick like Big Jim and give. Agatha is eating Triscuit Then Dennis is in danger So he quickly went back home And and just tried to, have, to get Dennis out of there Because he she doesn't know what Big Jim is going to do And as he was doing, thinking He's like, you know what? I I guess I'm it I, I have to find a cure for Big Jim I don't know what happened to all the humans But something has happened to them And they're all sick And I need to do something I-S-T is going to have to save the world this is a story that completely changed my view about crows I wouldn't say I was scared of them before but definitely as I walked by them I was a little uncomfortable probably usually but now because reading this book and that's what books do right they create empathy they make you understand they change how you think about things so and I walk by crows now I realize that I'm no longer really scared of them. In fact, sometimes I walk by and I will like say things to them. I realize, and I feel like it's all about because of this book. Because after reading this book, like you know, I feel like all the crows are like my friends now. You know, and so I do um, find myself thinking very differently about them. And St, I think this book has some of the best anthropomorphic characters there are. You will meet ST, you make that bananas, but there's also other things, cats included. Um, and they all have such great personality. ST is sarcastic, he is a know-it-all, you know, like he is um he's a foul mouth, you know, he's just like pretty hilarious, and of course, as he is. Commenting on sort of the world and you know, like he's got like really spot-on commentary about human behavior and our flaws and, and our human condition. Like he was just really, really good at pointing those things out. Um, and so if you like animals, if you're looking for a book about the zombie apocalypse, if you haven't noticed already, zombie apocalypse from the point of view of animals, please do check out uh the Hollow Kingdom by kira jane buston
1: virginia i love that you chose that book there's such a a cast of characters um despite it being in sort of like a pandemic zombie apocalyptic world i think it's so great <laughs>
3: It is quite a funny book. And I feel like now that I've talked about it, I feel like I should go back and finish it. Cause I, like I said, I didn't finish the book, but I will probably should go and do that. Cause I, I read a few first few chapters. I'm like, it is funny. It just, at that point when I was reading it, I got a little tired of it. So <laughs> I'll go back, but yes.
0: Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I, w- I was walking on the seawall the other day and looked kind of above me and over to the side and there were literally hundreds hundreds of crows just like surrounding the seawall they were in the trees they were in like the vacant lot that was next to the seawall it was a little unnerving a little bit it's
1: like they knew something that we didn't mm-hmm. know at the time I think it's
4: interesting to, to show an apocalypse from their perspective, too, because they're one of those animals that's like so adaptable that they will survive. Like, you know, they talk about who's going to exist when everything goes down. It's going to be like cockroaches and crows. That's the new world.
1: Well, Fiona, maybe you'll have to read that book and find out. <laughs> well, speaking of Fiona, she, uh, I believe, is a resident Crow Whisperer, at least on the panel here. Um, So why don't we see what book you have for us today? All right, yeah,
4: so um, when we chose this topic, uh, one immediately came to mind that um, I read a long time ago, but really, really loved and it really, really affected me. I am a big fan of animals, especially mammals, but I also really like bees and crows. Today's book is actually about wolves. It is the classics written in the 60s by Farley Mowit, Never Cry Wolf. So when I was thinking about this topic, um, sort of came to the conclusion that animal books are inherently sad. Always, even if they have a happy ending, there's something in there that's going to make you cry. Um, This is not a happy book. I might call it a um, tragedy. And I cried and I cried and I cried and this book never left me. It really changed the way I think about animals and conservation and wolves in particular. So uh, Farley Mowat, of course, is the great Canadian conservationist and uh, biologist. And this is one of his earlier books in which he goes to the subarctic and he's actually contracted to go there to check out the dwindling caribou population. So I believe he is contracted by a uh, government organization. And while he's there, he does his due diligence. Uh, they want him to check out the wolf population because the hunters think that the wolves are eating all the caribou and that's the issue. So he does his stats, you know, all that good stuff that the government wants him to do. Uh, but he also observes the wolves' lifestyles very closely uh, and gets to know them and finds that a lot of the things that he had heard about wolves and that the hunters had assumed are, in fact, not true. You know, he's told that they relentlessly hunt the caribou, and he finds that primarily these wolves are living off of mice uh, and they actually only occasionally make big kills. And they usually do it in, they, they uh, take off the weak and um, the young, which actually helps um, create a healthy population in the caribou. So it's the big irony of the book is basically the way that the wolves are being used as a scapegoat uh, for the hunters who say, the wolves take too much. They're horrible creatures, and like, they're like literally just talking about themselves. And the issue is overhunting, and uh, governments endorsing um, this wolf call as a way to control, to to increase uh, prey populations uh, when the wolves are really already, you know, like a healthy part of this ecosystem. <laughs> So it was, It is a beautiful book. Uh, I love the way he writes. It's all, it's um, nonfiction, sort of, you know, very biographical. Uh, He does change some of the events uh, to be a better narrative. And I really love that sort of structure, true events, um, but that still follow, you know, like an easy narrative. Yeah, it just really, you know, now whenever there's a bad wolf, like, even in fairy tales and things like that, like, I just get really upset with this. We have this idea that wolves are, um, you know, an animal that kills people, uh, when, like, that's really not true at all. Um, like, much in the way of sharks, where, you know, we just have this really, really overblown idea of what a danger these animals are to people. Um, and I think, like, It really changed my comfort in the being out in the wilderness. You know, I think, you know, here in BC, we do have grizzly bears, which are the one you never, ever, ever want to see. But essentially, if you come across a wolf um, in normal circumstances and you're out in the wild, you are not going to die. Like, you don't have to worry about that. Um, So I found that very comforting. And yes, just developing this empathy for these animals who have these beautiful families and social relationships that we just come in and destroy. And the end of the book is so sad, um, but very impactful and um, changed the way a lot of people see wolves and sort of, I think, paved the way for a lot of conservationists um, in the present. So if you've never picked up Farley Moab before, do it. <laughs> I actually, I shouldn't, um, you know, I, like I said, this really impacted me and I've tried to read some of his other books. They're just so sad, um, and so heavy that I haven't been able to do it yet. And I feel like I'm at the point where I'm like ready for another, another like full life changing book about animals. So maybe I'll try one of his others and actually, uh, finish it without it destroying. me.
1: Thank you, Fiona. Definitely, um, I can count on you for a great CanCon classic, a uh, classic author, classic title. Um, but it's so great to to hear about a nonfiction book that has that conservationist angle. Awesome. Now, Corinne, I'm not sure what you have in store for us today. So why don't you reveal what you've chosen? Sure. I
2: chose a title that is 100% way less depressing than the last two because those were bummers just hearing about them. Um, I'm not a big animal reader book because they always make me cry. Um, Just reading like The back of the books usually makes me like weepy and misty. So I tend to avoid, like do a hard swerve away from animal books. I think the one and only Ivan almost killed me because I was crying so hard I couldn't breathe. I was like having trouble processing oxygen. So I don't do a lot of animal stuff. So mine is kind of what I would call animal adjacent. There are animals there, I promise. And this book is about Prudence Burns, who every time she goes to the farmer's market in New York, she wants more. She wants her own baskets of beautifully glistening heirloom tomatoes with their own special fancy names and their varietals. And she wants a beautiful shelf of Swiss chard, all of her own. She can picture herself like going back to the land, being organic, maybe wearing some like Vintage looking overalls and like an antique looking hoe. She can picture it all. Unfortunately, she cannot have her own farm because she lives in a tiny little apartment in New York. But that all changes when poor, poor, strange Uncle Harold has died and has left her his farm on Vancouver Island called Woefield. Prudence is thrilled she's gonna transform this farm into an all-organic little hobby farm with like adorable little roosters and cute little sheep and it's just gonna be like a little slice of organic paradise for her However, when she gets to the island in her designer, Chic Clothing, um, she realized that she has inherited more of what could call a dilapidated barn and a field full of rocks and also her uncle's old foreman named Earl, who's kind of a creepy old guy who plays the banjo in the back all day. Um, And not only that, she has uh, Seth, the local loser who is still getting over something bad happened in high school, as well as a creepy little 11-year-old child who keeps bringing chickens to the farm. Somehow this Pollyanna is going to turn this all around and create the hobby farm of her dreams in the Woefield Poultry Collective by Susan Juby. This is a fantastic fish out of water story. It is funny, sarcastic. It kind of takes everything that you think about rural life and the country and farms. Because I feel like we've all at one point had that fantasy of, oh, I'll just open a little farm and like grow leeks and it will be beautiful. And every morning I'll wake up to the sound of crows and, oh, it'll just be beautiful. And then, like, the reality that you actually have to, like, do physical labor kicks in. And so this is kind of a little take on that idea that we all had. It is fish out of water, tongue-in-cheek. Um, it is actually perfect for fans of Shits Creek. Uh, if you enjoy that television show, it is a wonderful, upbeat read with animals. There is a half-shorn rogue sheep that's wandering around that they are trying to catch. So, animal, and there are many
4: chickens.
1: Feel like that title keeps popping up. Um, you've become a real proponent for.
0: I have to say, my farm fantasy usually ends at the point where I realize I can't grow things, and every living plant that comes into my house dies a very, very sad, sad death.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mine is the waking up early thing where I'm like, Oh, it'd be so nice, I could go and pee the chickens, and I was like, Wait, but they need to be fed like in the morning. <laughs>
4: I'm deeply, deeply afraid of chickens. Uh, that is my number one fear. <laughs> and it kind of ruins my farm dreams. Might just be like a um, an alpaca farm, I'm kind of thinking.
1: Interesting. Interesting. I feel like maybe that should have been our existential question. If you, if you had a farm, what kind of farm would it be?
0: What kind Ooh. Of be? Or what animal are you most <laughs> afraid of? Canadian geese, 100%. I have been hissed at by those things.
1: <laughs> it can be vicious, definitely. <laughs>
2: They're so close to dinosaurs, you can see the dinosaurs still in them. That and the smell.
1: Now, despite the topic of our episode today being about animals, that is not our existential question of the day. Let's take a break and ask instead, what are your bad book habits? Are there any that you'd be willing to disclose on air? Corinne,
2: feeling brave? I I will admit I am very hard on objects. Very, very hard on objects. And I think... I'm very hard on books. I'm not as bad as I used to be because one of my primary joys in life was to like crack the spine of brand new books. I just get them and just go, and like the cracking sound was so satisfying, but you know, I I would never do that to a library book. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. And they don't make books like they used to, so they can't often survive the cracking. So I would say, Probably my worst habit is using anything handy as a bookmark. And I do tend to sometimes just put them down like this on the nearest surface. Sorry.
1: That's kind of verging on spine cracking territory. It's as close as I can get these days. Uh, Collective shudder went through the group as Corinne was describing her old supposedly former bad habit of spine cracking gives me chills what do you think Sadie are you a spine cracker
0: no I am definitely not um I I I am also can be very hard on books though um to the point where when I before I worked in libraries I wouldn't borrow books from people because I would be so embarrassed by the the way that they would sometimes be returned that I would always feel like I would have to offer to buy the person a new copy of their book. Um, And that is because when I used to take transit um, and used to go places, I would never leave the house without a book in my bag and having a book kind of just tossed in my bag. It would not always be treated very well. Um, So it's, it's, not something that happens as much anymore more because i don't use transit and i don't go anywhere so <laughs> when i i bring yeah yeah so that's, those those habits have just been taken right away um and again same with creed i would never do this to library books when i take out library books i am very careful with them um But yes, whatever, like my own personal books, uh, they can be a bit ratty because they would just kind of be tossed into bags and brought out on buses and trains and things like that. Um, Another bad habit, I don't know if this necessarily counts, but I have a tendency to, and I think we've talked about this before, the books that I own are usually not beginnings of series. They are often second or third or further on in the series books and I know this is difficult for some people um, <laughs> so that you could see that as a bad habit as well that I because I will usually and again we've talked about this and I think Virginia understands this I feel like she was in my corner for this um, I will usually take the first book out from the library and then decide that I like it and then ask for the second or the third or buy the second or the third and so I will yeah I'm sorry Kareem.
2: I cannot even I cannot even I know
4: I know, I know.
1: All of our secrets coming out on air today.
4: (laughs) I have a laundry list. I think I might just like use this as a chance to get it all off my chest. Confess,
2: confess, (laughs) confess.
4: Okay. Yeah, definitely like just throwing things in a bag and carrying them around. Um, uh, Not preparing properly for the rain when I have books. Um, Eating. While I read my books, um, oh, I had a couple more. There was more. There was more. I might just have to like, you know, pipe back in when I think of the other. Do ones. you dog ear pages, Fiona? I never dog ear. No, that really bothers me. That's mm. that's the line.
2: Do you write in them?
4: I no. I would never write in a book. Mm. Um. Oh, not not finishing books. Just, like, starting them, putting them on my Goodreads, and then leaving them forever.
0: I have to take it off my Goodreads. If it's been on there for so long, I can't stand to have, like, the unfinished book sitting there. It's the completionist part of me, where I, like, I need to. (laughs) It really bothers me, though. Like, I don't know whether to mark it as, like,
4: just, like, take it off. But then you don't know how much you have read in case you ever try to go back to it. But you can not say that you did read it. Like, that would be wrong. Have you ever gone back,
2: Fiona? Have you ever gone back? I mean, probably like once and that justifies it.
1: Wow, that, that was some list. And yet it seems like you have more that is on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> How about you, Liz? <laughs> um, gosh, so many bad habits. Um, I usually get greedy. So I'll see a lot of things that I want to borrow and think, well, at this very moment, I want to read all five, 10, 15 of these books, or they all came in on hold for me, but I'm not going to pick and choose. I'm going to take them home because I'm a very mood-based reader. So we'll just see whichever one strikes my fancy. And then they all kind of sit there. Um, and also this is a public apology to anybody who's ever bought me a book, who's ever given me a book. Um, thank you so much. I'm sorry. I haven't read them yet and that they're on display lovingly on my bookshelves. There's just something about owning the book and then going, it's there for me whenever I need it. Um, and then just letting it sit there like a, a decorative object. Um, I do truly appreciate it. I will one day read those books. It's just those big stacks of books that I take home because I'm greedy, those take up my time because I have to bring them back or risk overdue penalties. So that's, yeah, those are the ones that I, care to admit to online?
4: Those were both ones I was thinking of. And also that I, um, I'm bad about returning things on our time lately. And if someone lends me something, sometimes I'll never get it back because I'm so embarrassed that I never read it. And so it just sits on my shelf as like a double, like I've had this for three years. Do they remember it exists? And I never finished it.
1: Remember that, everybody. If Fiona asked to borrow a personal book from you, remember remember this. All right. Don't lend me books. Don't lend me books. Yeah. No. And I see Virginia has been cringing at all of these confessions. Do you have anything you'd like to confess, Virginia? Any bad book habits?
3: Well, it seems like I'm only ever going to lend books to Liz and no one else unless unless this is just not confessing (laughs) but i'm not lending no one no books ever
0: (laughs) they'll just sit on her bookshelf and never get read
3: which is fine right (laughs) because it it won't yeah which is then i'll return them exactly
1: um
3: yeah it's scary i'm i'm still um horrified right now so (laughs) i have nothing to say (laughs) I think I'm we've all probably like when Liz was asking that question earlier, it would be more like Liz, is that like, I just have so much stuff. Like I will borrow a bunch of things and I will hawk onto them and then I won't. I, I And I'm bad at like just sticking with one book. I think I'm getting worse and worse at that. So I will have like 10 books that I started And I'm just like, ooh, shiny new books. It just came in today. I'm going to have to go read a little bit of that. You know, I just jump from book to book and I don't remember anything. I'm bad enough at remembering stuff. And then like, I just, yeah. So that would be my very, very bad habit that I'm trying to get out of. But yeah. But in terms of this physical book, like that's why I put my books, whether it's my book library book, I put them in a bag and then put it in my bag. So I always feel weird at the bus so i would take out a plastic bag or like take out a cloth bag and inside i will have my book so that i will make sure it doesn't get damaged and it doesn't touch anything else in my bag that's what i do to my books on transit so you are a model to us all there are ways to keep your book clean because I think they'll bother me so much. I think so it's only for my own sanity. Yeah.
2: You can buy a little like book protector sleeve. I actually got off of Etsy because yeah. again, same with you, Sadie. I'm just like, <laughs> um, and there's like so much pieces of pie in my bag that it's just not a good idea. So you could get a little like protector that, that that you put the book in and then you put it in your backpack
3: so that it keeps it safe.
0: Actual pieces of pie or just like, Pie as a metaphor for just a lot of different things.
3: Do you really want to know, Sadie? Do you really want to know?
0: I do. I like I'm I'm curious to know if I ever want pie. If I can just go to kareen and say, what kind of pie do you have right now? And
2: I mean, I often do have real just real pie
0: pie. All
1: right. It's good you to know. you not wrap the pie though? I mean, you're wrapping the book. Would you not...
3: I a stop this. Stop it, Liz. Well, I'm
2: I I get the pie from like Safeway and it's an individual slice of pie because at any given time, I don't want a full pie. I just want a slice of pie. But I continually forget that that is not hermetically sealed pie. And so if it tips, all the sticky, sticky, sticky filling just leaks out over everything.
0: I feel like for the sake of Virginia's sanity right now, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should move
2: on. Maybe we should move on.
1: Yeah, maybe Sadie, you should share your book with us.
0: Okay, all right, all right, I can do that. Um, (laughs) So, similar to Corrine, I don't tend to read a lot of animal books because I don't like sad books. Um, I have had the Traveling Cat Chronicles not only on my to-read list, but on hold through Libby since you recommended it on our very first book chat. It has come up numerous times, and I have continued to delay my hold this entire time because I know that that is a sad book because it was brought up on the tearjerker category. So, regardless of the number of recommendations that that book has gotten, you Liz, uh, my husband read it and absolutely loved it. Uh, someone in our Books and Suitcases book club read it, absolutely loved it. I cannot bring myself to actually take it out and read it. It is, it is still on hold, so one day I am telling myself I will get to it, um, but because I know it's going to be sad. So I do not read a lot of books with animals because they are sad. So what I find in the books that I read, I will just occasionally come across a, a great animal character. In the book, so the book will not not necessarily be about animals, uh, but they will kind of similar to Koreans, they will be animal adjacent. So there will be an animal in the book, um, whether it is uh, anthropomorphized or just kind of a companion to the characters. Um, So that is the the type of animals that I'm going to be talking about today. Um, And the book that I am talking about is one that I read earlier this year, uh, kind of right at the very beginning of this year and absolutely loved. i had actually had it set for one of our other book chat categories, but decided to switch it for this one because I could not come up with another animal book to talk about. Um, And I knew that I wanted to talk about this book at some point. Um, So this is Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. And I'm going to start by telling you about the animals uh, that are in this book. So there are three really great animals in this book. Uh, There is a cat named Percasso, great name for a cat, um, who is our protagonist's uh, cat, who he and his mother kind of rescued this cat um, when it was a kitten. It is scraggly. It is missing, I think, parts of it. Its ear, its tail is all kind of raggedy. It's not a very uh, physically attractive cat, but it is a very loyal cat. And it comes to sort of symbolically represent um, the connection that him and his mother had and the love between him and his mother. So that is one of the cat, one of the animals. Uh, the other two animals are dogs, and they are pit bulls, and they are Michelangelo and Donatello, and they are our protagonist's cousin and best friends' dogs, and they are the sweetest, fiercest, most scary pit bulls until. You get right up to them and then they just get so happy and so excited that a person is there, um, that they can't stop wagging their tail. They get so excited that they hit themselves in the face with their tail. They're not the smartest of creatures, but they are just these warm, lovely dogs who who follow um, our protagonists through the story and uh, and are there sort of as, quote unquote, protection um, as they as they go along their journey. Um, So those are the animal characters. I wanted to start that way because they don't necessarily come into play in a huge way um, throughout the rest of the book. <laughs> um but they are lovely additions to the book. Um they're just kind of nice. Good good for a good for a smile and good for a laugh kind of as you're reading through. So, the book Cemetery Boys revolves around Yadriel and Yadriel is part of a uh, community of Latinx um Bruja and Brujo who live in LA. And uh they are a community of For Life of a Better term, kind of the equivalent of witches in a lot of different cultures, Um, many Spanish-speaking cultures, um, Latin cultures. Um, And so this is kind of his the community that he belongs to. And he struggles in this community, uh, which is very set in its ways, especially when it comes to gender. And the Brujo, when they reach a certain age, they are given usually a dagger and they're they're taken through a ceremony where they get their Brujo powers. And the Bruja, same thing. When they reach a certain age, they are given healing powers and um, they are taken through a ceremony so that they get their full powers as well. Now, this is really difficult for Yadril because Yadril is trans. And while his family recognizes him as female, he knows that he is male, and his family is not letting him do the ceremony to become a Brujo and to get his dagger and to, to get his full powers. So he decides, with the help of his cousin, that he is going to do the ceremony anyways. He knows that the goddess who kind of oversees this tradition and this religion she sees him as a man. And so he knows that through that, she is going to give him the powers and the abilities that he should have as as a, as a male. And so they do this ceremony and it works. And so he gets a dagger that his cousin has made him and he gets these powers. And on the same night, all of the Brujekts have a connection where if one of them dies, they feel it. And they feel it in a very physical, in a very visceral way. So after the ceremony, they all feel the passing of Yadril's cousin. They go out to try and find the body, but nobody can. So Yadril has an idea with his newfound power. He's like, I am going to summon my cousin's ghost. I'm going to summon his ghost and find out what happened. And we'll figure out exactly where his body is and we'll figure out what is going on. But things don't exactly go the way that he wants them to. Uh, He does summon a ghost. He is successful in that. Um, But he instead summons the ghost of Julian Diaz, who is a young man who goes to the same school as Yadril. They don't really know each other and they don't really know what happened to him, how he died why exactly his spirit came when uh, Yadriel tried to summon his cousin. Uh, So the story continues with Yadriel, Julian, and uh, Yadriel's cousin Maritza trying to figure out what exactly happened to Julian as well as what happened uh, to their cousin and what kind of is going on in the bigger picture. Um, So it is a a wonderful story. Uh, you have kind of the relationship between Yadriel and his cousin. You have the growing relationship between Yadriel and Julian. Uh, you have the family relationship, as well as kind of humor that goes along with the whole thing. So yeah, I would uh, definitely recommend it. It's it's quirky. It's magical. It's fantasy. It's also very uh, set in the real world. And so that is Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. Thank you, Sadie great pick very great and it has animals in it and it has animals not at not at the forefront but they're there they are there
1: (laughs) It's like the icing on the cake I guess exactly (laughs) yeah yeah all right thank you for that and well we have one more book for you today and that is my pick for today and it is called the Constant Rabbit, and it is by Jasper Ford. Um, this is not—I wouldn't say this is a tearjerker book, as Sadie mentioned. Traveling Cat Chronicles, amazing tearjerker. So I do agree that, for I think certain types of animals, I think some of those stories can hit really hard. Um, but today's book, Constant Rabbit, is a little bit different. Now it takes place in Much Hemlock, which is a small town in England and is set in the year 2022. In this world, there are 1.2 million rabbits that are human-sized, and they are living in the UK. They are the result of what is called in short form, the event, and it was a spontaneous anthropomorphizing. Say that 10 times fast. So let's just refer to it as the event. So when the event occurred, These rabbits, whether they were in a field somewhere or in somebody's house as a pet or in a laboratory, all suddenly became human-sized. They are able to walk on their hind legs, they can speak English, as well as rabbity, which is apparently an incredibly difficult language to master and so difficult that no human is really able to master the language. Let's be real here. They can do pretty much anything a human can do. They can drive cars, they can work, they can live in homes, they can garden, they can do all the things that humans can do. They even wear clothes. Now, when the event occurred, it was such a miraculous thing and the humans were in wonder of this and they thought, this is fantastic, this is amazing. I can't believe this has happened. However, despite the initial positive reception, rabbits have had uh, anti-rabbit sentiment against them. And it's gotten to the point where there is now a ruling political party called UCARP, the UK Anti-Rabbit Party. So you can kind of think of them as an extremist right-wing political group that is seeking to take away the rights of rabbits. So much as there's human rights, there's also rabbit rights. So over time, they've taken away rabbits' rights to attend post-secondary education, um, have taken away the rights of many rabbits to live in human cities, and they in fact, uh, most of them have been segregated to Warrens, which are kind of akin to reserves. So the rabbits have had a very difficult time of things, despite being a very peaceable, agreeable species. The protagonist of our story is Peter Knox. He's a human man and he lives with his adult daughter, Pippa. Now he just goes about his business. He's not anti-rabbit by any means, but he kind of keeps his views to himself because that would cause trouble, not only with his neighbors, some of whom are staunchly anti-rabbit, but also with his employer. Now he works as a spotter for Rabcot or the Rabbit Compliance Task Force and he has sort of a gift of sight in a way. Now, most humans can't differentiate one rabbit to the other. They just can't do it. They all look the same. Well, Peter's one of those people who actually can tell that different rabbits do have their own unique features. And thus he is a spotter whose task to either identify suspects or to pick them up out, out of photographic lineups. So one day, Peter runs into uh, an old friend of his. Uh, this is somebody that he went to college with, they took classes, they hung out together, they went to the movies, and he really, really enjoyed her company. This individual is Constance Rabbit. And for some reason, her and her family, so herself, her husband, her son and daughter, having granted permission to live across the street from him in the recently vacated house of his neighbor. So highly unusual that a rabbit would be living in the midst of the human population. Well, the neighbors are not happy about this. They are scheming, devising ways of how they can get rid of the rabbits legally, so to speak. Not only does Peter recognize Constance from their college days, but Constance also recognizes Peter, and they soon pick up their friendship where it left off. This is incredibly distressing to Rabcott because essentially they are in the back pocket of UCARP, the anti-Rabbit party, and they suspect that Constance is a revolutionary. They suspect that the rabbits, as a whole, are terrorists, and they are looking to take over human life as we know it in the UK, and to enforce their rabbity ways upon us all, including that dreaded horrible veganism. How dare they? We'll be eating carrots and cucumbers and lettuce until cows come home. So certainly Ucarp doesn't want this. Rabcott doesn't want this, and so they are placing Constance under surveillance and asking Peter to work as a mole to play both sides to foster his relationship with Constance and her family and to try and gain insider information that he can then turn over to them. However, as mentioned before, Peter is not anti-Rabbit. In fact, he finds that his old feelings for Constance are once again growing and She is very dear to him. She becomes very dear to his heart and his daughter Pippa also becomes involved and accepted in the rabbit world. This was a really interesting take on satire. It was so allegorical in how they presented rabbits as the other, how rabbits are discriminated against, how they're prejudiced against, how they're segregated. And while it it seems like a light humorous story on some levels which it is there's just some things that um, are kind of ridiculous in how they're presented uh, but it kind of makes you stop and think about you know who in our society we treat as other because they're different because they come from another place because we don't understand their culture um, because we are not involved in their culture so I found I found that but depending on how you want to read this book, it really was quite nuanced. And to see how you know somebody, well, much like ourselves, can be caught in between, sort of living our own lives, flying under the radar, uh, and yet you know what would we do if, if you know we face somebody who is uh, experiencing racism or prejudice? Like how how anti-racist are we? How non-prejudiced are we? And are we willing to stand up? for those individuals and for those beliefs. How far would we go to help our fellow person or in this case, our fellow rabbit? So again, that is The Constant Rabbit by Jasper Ford.
4: That sounds great Liz.
1: Definitely going on my to-reads. Excellent, excellent. I really enjoyed everybody's diverse animal book picks today. Not only different types of stories, but also the gamut of the animal kingdom, I feel. Not enough owls, though, obviously. Not enough owls.
3: Never. Never, huh, Virginia? But I think, like you said, it's hard because animal books are hard to read because you never know what's going to happen to the animals. And it's like, I don't. Yeah, it's hard to pick one up because I'm like, I don't. I don't know. (laughs) I'm worried. I'm scared for them.
2: It's like the seeing a movie with a dog. I always check the website does the dog. The website, yes. I, yeah, because yes. I want to know. I yes. want to be spoiled for that. I don't want that to come as a surprise. I want to be spoiled for everything involving an animal.
1: Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Keep It Fictional presented by the Port Moody Public Library. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode and would love to hear what you're reading as well. So until then,
0: take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional.